Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The last few weeks, we've had children in our readings. But other than that, the, the, the readings themselves may have been a little hard for us to get our heads around. Well, well we could relate to, to the story, some of the stories, and, and some of the, the, the meanings behind them, what was going on. Most of us probably could not relate personally, to demon possession. If you have seen it up close and personal, then it's not an experience you soon will forget. While it is seemingly more common in parts of Africa, Madagascar, South America, it is a very uncommon and unusual phenomenon, at least to our recognition, in our Western culture. But today, in our readings, things aren't so outside or other people's problems. Today, the reading kind of hits home. Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, as they often do, are seeking to test him. Now, when we think of the Pharisees testing Jesus, we often think of this as a negative thing. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get Jesus to say or, or do something to, to uh, diminish his authority, to do something that would bring shame on him, and, uh, and then allow them to discredit him. Yet when faced with a test, even we have a chance, not just to mess things up, but to do exactly as Jesus did this morning. We get to prove who we really are. Jesus never failed a test, but boy, do we fail often. Not always, but often. And so the Pharisees bring to Jesus a topic that shows us one way in which we fail divorce. So Jesus takes them all the way back to the first book of Scripture and the place where marriage was instituted by God. And hence, Jesus reminds them, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Later, St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, would call this one flesh union a profound mystery. While sometimes, and unfortunately necessary, divorce is always in every circumstance counter to what God had intended way back there in the beginning. One husband, one wife, for life. Anything outside of that, anything other than that is sinful and against God's design and desire. One husband, one wife, for life. Period. So it is of little surprise that Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Remember, not two husbands or two wives, but one husband, one wife for life, not one at a time, as our culture seems to <laughs> like, but just one, period. 
Elsewhere, Jesus also tells us that looking with lust on a person who is not your spouse is also committing adultery. It is sinful. And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever done that, because I already know we all have. We're all guilty of committing adultery in this way. But all of this tells us something very, very important. God takes marriage seriously. Even if we don't tend to take it seriously. Marriage is the foundational relationship for a civilized society. The mutual care and companionship, the raising, protection, education, and nurture of children all takes place within the family. At least, that's the design. The family offers stability, reliability, and a place to safely mess up, fail, be forgiven, and keep progressing forward. That is the design. Husband loves his wife. Wife respects her husband. Parents care for their children. Children honor their father and their mother, and it's beautiful. If only it always worked out that way. What a beautiful world it would be if these things were held in higher regard than they are. Instead, divorce is rampant, not just in the world around us, but even in the church. The divorce rates are practically the same. It says much about how lowly we as Christians regard marriage, how lowly we Christians regard our spouse and our families. We as Christians, as the church, have failed. We have failed to properly teach the beauty and sanctity of marriage. We have failed to lift up our spouse. We have failed to live as God has required us to live, and how he's designed us to live. I want to go back to that phrase, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Moses originally wrote those words. Jesus, this morning, quotes them. So does St. Paul, and so has almost every single pastor at almost every single Christian marriage since. Why? Why repeat those words? I thought of several reasons. One, it's important. It's important to repeat those words. Because those words are important. Otherwise, God would have given us another way of doing things. But he, in his wisdom and design, gave to us marriage. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so he created for him a very special helper, a woman. And I don't know if you've ever read the text this way, but the woman was a creation that was treasured by the man. Listen to Adam's own words when he lays eyes upon his newly formed bride. This at last is my bone, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. At last, finally, how many times are those words said at a wedding? Finally, I found my true love. At last, at last, Adam was beside himself with praise for his bride. Now granted, Adam's words were not all that romantic by our standards. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. But you can sense his awe of her. He loved her. Besides, it's not like Adam had much practice beforehand. One man, one woman, that was it. The second reason why these words are, are good for us it's because it is foundational. As we've already mentioned, marriage and the family are the basic building blocks of a civilized, fruitful, and secure society. In 1994, there was a study that came out of Switzerland. I got it from a, a book called Being Dad. But the study showed, that the, showed the importance of a father's influence on faith. It stated that if a father practices his faith regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, 60 to 75% of his children will practice his faith as adults. Just from the father being faithful to his God. So what does this mean? It means children need fathers. Children need mothers. The impact of parents on children go a long way. Children need parents who are united for their care and also the mutual love of one another. It really takes both a mother and a father to raise children. This is the ideal. Three, these words are good for us because they're illustrative. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Remember I mentioned earlier what St. Paul said right after he gives that quote to the Ephesian church? He says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery. Man, woman, becoming one flesh. Found. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage, as seen throughout Scripture, is an earthly image of our heavenly relationship. The book of Hebrews is profound in its description of the incarnation of our Lord. It says this morning, We see him for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Here's a beautiful thing for us to remember today. Jesus is the perfect husband. I come close, but I'm not Jesus. I can say that Laura's not here today. 
But Jesus is the perfect husband. If all husbands were like him, more marriages would last. He left his father, came down from heaven in order to be betrothed to his bride, the church, to cling to her. His entire life was lived to serve her. Even his death was in order to serve her and to save her. But on the other hand, if fewer brides were like the church, more marriages also would probably last. You, me, the church, receive the love of our husband, the lover of our souls, and he gives to us everything. He gives us everything he has to support us, encourage us, to cause us to thrive. You and I, however, do not return the respect that he deserves. We, the church, are an adulterous bride, chasing after others, making a mockery of the marriage that Jesus died to protect. If you've never read the prophet Hosea, let me give you a snippet. Hosea writes on behalf of God, My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. This is how God speaks of his people who chase after other things. The problem of Israel is the problem of the church, is the problem of humanity. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. We covet and we scheme, we lust and we lurk. Instead, we should, especially in this place, gather to adore our husband, to honor him, to hear his word, to receive his love, to cherish his forgiveness, to seek out his face, to adore him as he lays down his life so that we may live. And he promises never to divorce us no matter how adulterous we are. He promises to love us, no matter, no matter how much we lust after false gods. He promises to forgive us and to welcome us, no matter how far away we have roamed. We don't deserve a husband like that, but that is the husband we have. See how he treats the children today? See how he embraces them, loves them. Just like a husband should love his own children, he does the same for you. Divorce is not what God intended for humanity. It is a result of our sinfulness. And God never designed or desired for our sinfulness to do such damage to each other. He created woman to be a companion to man because it was not good for man to be alone. So he will never divorce you. He will never push you away. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. 
will never be alone. Amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.